You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. My first thought was we got to put active children. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Trucks on, on, the on the way. On the way. Yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. I'm Josh, and as always, I'm joined by Paul and Joey, like usual, and we apologize for not putting out any content in a while. We've been busy, busy working, spreading the good word of Actigel and owing concrete job sites all over this country, but we finally made it back to the studio to bring you guys some content, and today we have a special episode Uh, we've decided to drill down on one of the key topics in the concrete industry and it has been for a while and it will continue to be so so we're going to talk about carbon emissions and we're going to go in depth with uh, fantastic detail stats and uh, plenty of information to back up our claims so in order to do that we got paul and joey here paul what's going on man What's up, dude? Glad to be back. Excited for this special episode. Uh, Give the people the truth about what's going on with this CO2 stuff, where it's coming from, why it's coming, uh, what we're going to do about it, and then what kind of impact we're actually going to have as we start to reduce the emissions in this industry. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're going to be legit on this one. Hashtag no fake news found here (laughs) in the podcast. (laughs) Straight facts. Straight facts. What do you think about that, Joe? I'm excited about it. Glad to be back. I missed y'all boys. Yeah, for sure. We've been all over. Um, And we also will continue uh, the regular scheduled episodes with guests on uh, in that final segment. We're going to have a guest next week. uh, So the regular style of episodes will return as well. But for now, it's going to be us three talking about stuff that matters to the concrete industry most. So we got a lot of things to tackle. One one thing that we'll continue to tackle throughout the entire episode is misinformation or uh, not necessarily misinformation, but possibly a false perceptive. Yeah. Or, maybe you're only getting one side of the story here. Maybe there's more to drill down that you're just not aware of. And we weren't aware of until uh, we drilled down into it. Right. Right. Well, and, and by that, I mean, you know, this, the concrete industry gets slammed for carbon emissions. It's low hanging fruit, but it's not necessarily warranted. And like always, we talk about it here on the show, there's a big difference between concrete and cement. 
And a lot of people don't get that right, <laughs> even academics. And I think one thing to cover is the term sink and what is a sink as we talk about it today. Yeah, so we're gonna we're not gonna decouple cement emissions from concrete emissions because uh, no one who's analyzing this is decoupling it. So we're just gonna have to roll with what they're using as their terminology, and we're gonna do that. Part of what you don't see in the headlines a lot is a full life cycle analysis of these things. And so as we get to talking, you may hear us talk about a sink, and that is a product's ability to absorb CO2 from the atmosphere. The CO2 is uh, sunk into the product. So if you hear that terminology, it was new for us. So uh, as we talk about it, we didn't want uh, people to be left out there. Yeah, I think a recurring topic that we're going to see in this podcast is going to be just education to the general public. Um, I know I kind of liken some of these things to my experience in the hunting community, but it's literally the only other thing I know about other than concrete. That's all. That's the two parts of my life is hunting and concrete. But uh, we see similar things, you know, in the hunting industry. And I'll give you a, a really recent example. I just came across this this morning. So in Washington state, they have a bear hunting season in the springtime. And to make a long story short, uh, the general public basically voted to eliminate that spring bear season, even though the Wildlife Commission of that state uh, basically said that the hunting of these bears in the springtime does not affect the population. So the population is still maintaining or growing, even with this hunting season. But the general public decided that they wanted to do away with it, despite any scientific-based management practices in that state. And we see that happen all the time uh, in the hunting industry with things with, you know, with similar issues with bears or trapping or whatever. And so the reason I bring that up is it sounds pretty similar to what we're going to talk about today in that a lot of people don't really have as good of a grasp on things as, you know, we do or others in the industry. You know, it's it's just a common thing for us here in the industry to discuss what we're going to be discussing today. I'll throw that back on ourselves too, that like, as we were researching this topic in depth, because we knew we wanted to talk about it, you know, you, you read all these scary stories about how many emissions are out there and how much it's done. And I tell you, if that's all you read all day, I can understand why you're a little bit scared of these greenhouse gas emissions. Like I get it, you know, and to mm -hmm. come on here today, we're going to do an in-depth dive for our industry specifically and say what the real picture is and uh, where we think it's headed, um, you know, we're not looking to get labeled climate deniers or anything like that. We're just trying to be pragmatists and say, um, although there is some CO2 emissions, what is it really for us? And uh, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, there's there's certainly a, uh, a disadvantage to, you know, the, the social media is the best, worst thing to happen to us, you know, in the last couple decades in that. You know, a lot of people may be getting one side of of, uh, of a viewpoint from an industry, you know, like hunting, for example, you see all the time. Uh, there's a big media story about some, you know, some guy going to Africa and trophy hunting and blah, 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 blah. Well, the same can be said with construction and in some circles, you know, construction and the byproducts of construction and the material manufacturing process uh, and everything that has to do with that. They only see the negative side and while you know we're on our side of the industry we could probably do a better job of presenting these facts and i think that's what we're trying to do today and just represent the construction industry in a positive manner and just educate people 
uh, on what really goes on because the the people that aren't involved in construction is a vast majority of the population. You know, there's the construction is still pretty a, is a pretty niche uh, community, but all of the other people that are going to be casting their vote in favor of or uh, or against some bills or certain politicians that want to push things through, their opinion matters. And it needs to be an educated opinion because at the end of the day, uh, the majority rules. And if they don't have an accurate viewpoint of what really goes on in the industry, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt us, no doubt. We'll kind of start things off here, you know, with CO2 emissions. The stat you often see is that cement is 8% of global CO2 emissions, but in the U.S. it's only 3%. And interestingly enough, the push for green cement is coming from foreign-based multinationals, and it directly affects the production here in the United States. So again, you know, we're... We, uh, we get labeled as having all these CO2 emissions and that this push for you know green cement is coming from overseas. It's not even coming from here in the U.S. Yeah, it's interesting. I was in a presentation from a guy who was from NRMCA. This was last week, and he's given this uh, big presentation about how we're all going to go green and we're going to self-regulate ourselves as an industry. Cement, ready-mix together, we're going to self-regulate. We're going to reduce uh, our carbon emissions. And so uh, he starts giving this big presentation from the Concrete Sustainability Council. It starts going over all the different tiers you can achieve um, as a producer to say, yes, I am in the gold or the platinum because I've reduced more emissions than my peers. And at the end of the presentation, you know, one of the producers in the room spoke up and said, well, what do those little uh, tears get us? He says, oh, well, you could put that on your product. You know, advertise that you've reached the gold and platinum tier or whatever. And, and, and he says, I don't get lead credit. I don't get any recognition. It's just for advertising. He says, well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you're, you now have a, a better product because it's lower emission. And he, he said, well, you just you're talking about spending millions of dollars to be able to get this little placard that nobody even recognizes. And it's not going to benefit my business in the short term at all. It's going to be on the concrete producer or the cement producer to upsell the value of this. Um, and it's something that they can't limit to like one product. Cause if you go through this change, it affects every product they make. And so, you know, it was an interesting disconnect between the presenter and the people he's presenting to. And that was sort of the basis for why we're coming together and we want to get all these things out on the table. And the presenter said something interesting, kind of what Joey just said. Uh, it's coming from foreign-based multinationals. And his comment to the whole room was, well, Europe's already doing it. And they're six years ahead of us. And the whole room just like let out this big sigh, like, oh, brother, really? We're focused on Europe. So why is it that way? Why, why are we that way in the U.S.? Why do we want to, you know, sort of guffaw at what they're doing over there? And as you start digging into the numbers, there might be a case. So the emissions for the cement and concrete injury is only 3% in this country. And then you learn the word sink. And we find out that if you actually do the whole life cycle assessment, the life cycle analysis, you don't just say, hey, cement emits 8%. And then you find out that concrete actually 
sinks 60% of that back into itself. So in the United States, you're talking about 1.4% of CO2 emissions comes from the cement concrete industry. Right, right. And, and what, you, what you said by sink is that is the concrete literally absorbing CO2 from the atmosphere naturally. Correct. Right. And so it's a sponge, soaks it up, that CO2 gets in, the calcium ions that are in there, they're probably in the form of calcium oxide. Uh, they're going to react with the CO2. Now it is bound calcium carbonate back inside the concrete. So like through the years, we always heard like, hey, concrete gets stronger and stronger with age. The, the longer it's in the ground, it actually continues gaining strength. Well, why is that? Well, this is part of that reason. But it also has a great benefit of pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So we have to look at this as a full life cycle analysis. And when you put that in perspective, the United States, we're talking about 1.4% of CO2 emissions is directly related to our industry. And then it's like, okay, so we do have some emissions. 1.4% of the whole country is directly related to us. So what can we do to offset that? And people are looking at blended cements, uh, whether it's uh, the 1L cements or the LC3 cements. There's other technologies coming down the road. Um, but one of the things that nobody's talking about is that the biggest thing we can do is replace asphalt paving with concrete paving. Because now asphalt, which it gets kind of buried into some other stuff, but we ran the numbers. So if you go and just try to find like how much CO2 is emitted by asphalt paving, you can't find it. There's no number. It's buried down in like transportation and oil. It's just like sort of sunk in there and kind of divided up. You actually have to go do the numbers. We did the numbers. It would be by itself as a category, by itself, 8.7% of all CO2 emissions in this country would be asphalt. And that's in the United States alone. Right. So if concrete and cement is 1.4 and asphalt is 8.7, just making that switch right there, you've, you've got at least a 5% positive. Right. At least. Well, this is where I talk about perception, like how you view things. Things can be viewed a number of different ways, but as it pertains to uh, civil construction, especially construction that is state-funded, their perception is by election cycle most of the time. Infrastructure bills are presented by administrations that are on election cycles. No one is looking at this as a total life cycle because the total life cycle of concrete is always going to be longer than that of asphalt, uh, but it's more expensive. Not in the long term, but in the short term, it definitely is. And if you're looking at things in a four-year period or a two-year period in some cases, then uh, our argument or the stats that you just presented kind of gets lost in the weeds because, quite frankly, it doesn't matter to some people. Yeah, I just don't think we're looking macro enough no but no but, i agreed but nobody is talking about what we just talked about right there correct you're not hearing that anywhere from any place we're finding out here right here on the ad 10 podcast it's first place so that instead of trying to drill down and spend millions of dollars to try and reduce the emissions of our industry which in this country only contributes to 1.4%. Instead of trying to spend millions to make that 1%, what 
why don't we take a step back and say, are there other industries that are polluting that we can replace? And the answer is asphalt. Uh, But nobody's marketing concrete in that way to say, hey, we can reduce 5% of all greenhouse emissions in this country if we make that one switch. Yeah, and perhaps it will help if we market ourselves a different way. And as much as I don't like this, it is what it is. Uh, Buzzwords, buzz terms help, right? So with in mind all the stats that we just threw out and you're you're down to one and a half percent and possibly even lower with a little bit of effort all of a sudden you can start throwing out the term carbon neutral when you say carbon neutral people's ears perk up no matter how legitimate it actually is you start saying carbon neutral and all of a sudden some politician somewhere that likes to put three words on a sign to get people's attention now they got people's attention yeah, asphalt is nowhere near the carbon uh, sink that concrete is, and I think we need to clarify it. We're, we're speaking uh, sink, or spelling sink, S-I-N-K, like literally you know, draining and funneling down and collecting it. Asphalt is so dense, it's, you know, it's tar, it's rock, there's not really much you know, for absorption of almost anything in there, whereas concrete is almost literally a sponge. It's filled with voids, you know, micro air bubbles, and uh, it can really absorb that carbon. And uh, when you're thinking about the life cycle, it's not just that a unit of concrete is lasting longer than a unit of asphalt. You got to consider in uh, repair on the asphalt, uh, having to come in, you know, tear it up, redo it. All kinds of maintenance uh, that involves asphalt, that involves heavy machinery that you won't find uh, with concrete. You lay concrete down and there's minimal repair to it throughout its life cycle. You may have to, you know, may have patch of a place or two or you know there's some kind of minimal thing going on there but you just don't have the maintenance with concrete that you do with asphalt yeah 100 percent. and getting back to what josh was saying he's talking about we're going to try and go carbon neutral the the powers that be have spoken you know the industry's moving that way these multinationals has come in they've partnered with uh, the pca here and said this is what we're doing we're going to be carbon neutral so how do we get there yeah, we only need 1.4% if we're, you know, here in the U.S. If we're going to go by the stats, let's not blow things out of proportion and, and act like this industry is on fire. You know, we need to think of ourselves in a higher light. You know, we're getting killed globally with this 8% number. But here in the U.S., we need to be thinking 1.4% is the number. So we per- perhaps can get to carbon neutral. So one of the technologies that actually looks pretty promising, I'm excited about, is uh the carbon capture technology. And so there is a federal grant that's being given out right as $4 million, this grant. And it's going to actually uh, go to the University of Illinois, and they're going to do this study uh, at the St. Mary's plant up there in Illinois. And they're going to try and take the carbon right out. As soon as it's being emitted up the smokestack of the cement plant, they're going to take it out right there. Uh, they're actually going to use uh, very specific company's technology, and it's called pressure swing adsorption. So this is a technique we'd never heard of uh, until we started researching this, but apparently it's pretty common. Uh, they use it for all types of gases, hydrogen, a few other things, and it's used to separate the ga- the gas species And when you have a mixture of gases, and you can take out the one you want uh, as long as you know their specific gravity of uh, the molecule you're going for. Uh, and so what this company's doing is 
they're actually changing that pressure to sort the molecules, and then they're introducing a cryogenic freeze like right after that, which solidifies it into like a liquid state, so you can actually transport it. In this case, they're not looking to transport it out of the smokestack so they can like reuse it. Uh, they're actually looking just to pump it right back down into the ground. Uh, you put it in the ground with water, and it goes down into uh, whatever the layer of rock is. Uh, one of the examples I showed was a basalt rock uh, that was very, very porous. And when you put the uh, CO2 directly down in there with water, it actually crystallizes when it gets down in there. And it just makes the rock formation down there very, very solid. And so if that is true, if this type of technology will allow us to capture carbon out of the cement plant during the production, I really think that alone could get us to carbon neutral. This particular uh, cement plant retrofit that they're talking about, they they claim the method can separate up to 95% yeah, that's right. of, of the carbon dioxide. Uh, otherwise, that would be released into the environment, but in this place, it's going down to a basalt rock that's probably, I don't know what, 80 to 100 feet underground yeah however far the well is yeah i'm not i'm sure you could do different depths and right. different wells but yeah that's about right but it doesn't matter like how pie in the sky we want to be about being green or carbon neutral or hey even on the good side you know carbon negative it all comes with a cost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when that guy was giving that presentation from the nrmca on behalf of the concrete sustainability council uh, you could see every producer in the room just just looking at dollar signs on the screen, uh, and and it's tough when you're in our business. We're in a commodity business, whether we like to admit that to ourselves or not. Concrete is a commodity, cement is a commodity ingredient going into our commodity product, mm-hmm. and you start adding all these costs, yeah, on the back or the front end of this, you got to make it up on the back end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're 100% right. I mean, it, it's a high-volume, low-margin business. It always has been. And if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. And um, you, you also have to look at things in relativity as well. I mean, the, the study that we're talking about here for this carbon capture research, $4 million is a big number, but it's also not a big number. You look at the amount of money that they're spending on other energy resources or other renewable energy methods that are much, much less efficient and also not adopted yet, you would have to change everything about the energy structure of our country or the world in order to adopt certain technology. When you start looking at wind, solar, and everyone knows that I'm a, everyone that listens to this show knows that I'm a huge proponent of nuclear energy as far as the efficiency of it, but you look at the massive sums of money that you need to sink into a nuclear energy facility, um, all of a sudden $4 million doesn't seem that much relatively speaking so yeah four million dollars seems really cheap to me because we've all been on job sites and we've been around enough that we've seen things that cost about four million (laughs) dollars it doesn't it doesn't seem that much when you when you think about it what that's the amount of the grant yeah from the feds right that they're giving and that doesn't include the private money that's coming in uh, from the St. Mary's folks as they sort of help out. And then if it all works, then you could talk about designing one of these fancy systems that take the CO2 out. And then you got to do that to all the plants. I mean, I just can't even imagine what that number would be to retrofit one of these plants. Cause for the folks who haven't seen it and we'll 
link to it in the show notes of this, but when you go look at like what one of these um, gas pressure swing adsorption deals with the cryogenic attached to the end of it, I mean, it's massive. It's huge. It's, you know, going to take people a lot smarter than the folks here to operate it. And that's going to cost money. It all costs money. And the cement industry is going to want a premium for that. I mean, I know I would. It's not all going to be for the good stewardship of the planet. These people are running businesses. And as much as the guys on here, on this podcast right here, we want to leave every place we go into, we want to leave better than we found it. Because that's how we were raised. And that's no different to how we approach the earth. Uh, But we're also businessmen. And so at times, I think sometimes we can take, or I'll speak for myself here, take a a side eye when I see people come out that are head of these massive corporations and are like, hey, uh, everything's green because we want to be the best stewards of the environment. And I I only think that's half the story. You can speak for me there as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other half is that it's, uh, it's a business move. And one of the things as a business that if you are sort of gauging the political winds of how things are moving, uh, whether in your specific country or region or uh, globally, you got to think proactively. And one of the things that I keep coming back to is that in order to make an industry change, you can either offer them a carrot or a stick. There's two ways to get people moving. And in this industry, it is my opinion that these big uh, multinationals are trying to offer themselves a carrot so that the government, politicians, NGOs that are going to craft policies are not going to hit them with a stick. Yeah. So can we as an industry get out in front of it and then market it successfully and say, hey, we're actually carbon neutral, Uh, please don't hit us with insane regulations that make it almost impossible to run our businesses? Well, yeah, perfect example about perception. And I kind of touched on the political aspect of that a little bit earlier. You go out as an industry and prove that you can achieve carbon neutrality or or close to it. Then all of a sudden, when these politicians want to talk about the carbon emissions, be like, no, 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 listen here. In, In your infrastructure proposals, you should be you should be proposing more concrete paving. You should be, you know, talking about how concrete can actually lower emissions. You want to pave these roads with asphalt every two years or every four years. You're doing repaves on major highways. Maybe you can talk about in this infrastructure plan, talk about how, you know, we're going to spend a little bit more money up front in the, how can you word this as a politician? I'm terrible at this, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're not politicians. Yeah, right. And. In the pursuit of carbon neutrality, we're going to spend a little bit more money up front, but we're going to pave things with concrete because they have uh, less maintenance long term, they last longer, they absorb carbon out of the air, so on and so on and so on. Talk about all the great bullet points. Now, all of a sudden, if you change the perception of these politicians, they're less likely to hit you with a stick. Yeah, and the NRMCA has been trying to market concrete paving just on a cost-for-cost basis, saying, hey, we're really close now. Mm-hmm. Concrete paving is very close to the price of asphalt paving. But one thing we don't see in the marketing is relative to greenhouse gas emissions. Right. The asphalt industry, for whatever reason, whether it was just dumb luck or strategic, uh, they're not really getting hit, I don't feel like, with the same kind of uh, emissions. You know, They're not getting hit over the head 
the way the cement concrete industry is, but that's because there's no figures tied directly to them. You have to literally go in and find, you know, how much asphalt was produced and then find white papers that explain the life cycle of that and what those emissions look like and then do those calculations yourself because it's all buried into other stuff. And so we had to pull that out ourselves. And so I think going forward, uh, like you said, Josh, we have to market better that concrete's actually the greener alternative to pavement. And oh, by the way, it's actually not going to cost you much more at all. Right. Yeah, it all comes back to education. Like we've said before, the general public needs to know this, and we're doing that today. The I don't know if it needs to be pushed on social media or just whatever. I think it's important to bring up the other construction materials that we get compared to a lot. So we don't get compared to the emissions on asphalt very much, even though it is a very direct competitor to us in the paving world. But we do get compared uh, quite often to steel and wood, and if you look at their marketing, steel's trying to do what concrete's trying to do, which is just ignore <laughs> emissions. <laughs> just like, ah, you know, we're not the best, but, you know, we're very vital to the world. So I think we can reshape the narrative on concrete. Already we've discussed that. Now we can discuss what we're compared to. And so the asphalt is going to be over 8% of emissions Iron and steel is about 7.2% of global emissions, and deforestation of the wood is uh, only 2.2%. So that doesn't, the deforestation, uh, we're talking about life cycle analysis there. Um, So the trees are really good, obviously, taking in CO2 and then turn that into oxygen. So the guys, that's when it's alive. Uh, But wood is going to use that as part of their life cycle analysis. Hey, while we're waiting to cut it down, it's soaking up CO2. One thing with the concrete that we don't talk about a lot is crushed concrete. When you rip it back up, you crush it, and it's just sitting in a yard somewhere just waiting to either be used or landfilled. Guess what that's doing the whole time? It's laying there. It's a carbon sink. And it's actually better now that's broken up because you've exposed sure. more surface area. Right. So you've got more sink going on. Uh, you know, so it's not a bad thing if you guys have got uh, some of that broken concrete just laying around your plant, getting ready to use it as a RCA. Uh, in the meantime, it's uh, soaking up a whole lot of CO2 out of the atmosphere. And as we start to compare ourselves to these other materials and we start to continue to build and we want to build more green, uh, you know, there's other forces at play that are driving this outside of the concrete cement industry, outside of the regulatory agencies. We're also dealing with academia that is constantly researching ways to reduce these emissions and spitting out these statistics like 8%. We're responsible, our industry is responsible for 8% of emissions. I was just on a call today with a, you know, some very, very smart guys uh, who are doing research at a university and they're looking at reducing the CO2 of concrete. They're using some of our products in their, uh, in their research. And, you know, I challenged them. I said, wait a minute, you know, you're using these big numbers, but you didn't take into the life cycle analysis of this. You're not taking into account that the USA is actually way better than the statistics you're throwing out, you know, how come you're not talking about any of that? If you're marketing this to the USA, why aren't you doing that? And, you know, they just said, oh, I'm not familiar with all those things you said, so I can't speak to it. And they just just went on to the next thing. And 
I think that kind of fired me up even more coming in here because these people are right in the middle of it. They're leading the charge, the tip of the spear. And they don't even seem to have all the numbers uh, that we're presenting here in this podcast. You think that's because they don't need to? Well, what's their job? Their job is to get grants yeah, and test stuff and then eventually get it to market so they can get more grants and more partners and get more things to market. And if this is the way you're going to get grants by saying these things, then that's what you're going to say. And it doesn't mean they're wrong. It's, I mean, their data is not wrong, mm-hmm. but I think it could have been more precise. But yeah. if you don't need to dig down and learn the precision necessary for this country and you're not saying it, so instead of flouting and touting 8%, instead you could be saying 1.4%, which is a much more positive number. Well, that's not going to get you a grant. You know, you're going to go after stuff that they think are low-hanging fruits. And, right. you know, that's what we're doing. But academia is typically 10 to 20 years ahead of stuff that's actually in the field. So instead of trying to revamp this, are there other grants that could be, you know, put out there? Um, are, are there's other technology that we're doing? And the reason for that would be not focused on CO2 reduction in our industry because we're only 1.4%. We're not 8%. So the United States government, why aren't we putting money in other places to advance other technologies uh, that could really make things better for the people rather than looking at carbon emissions, which, as we've learned here today, is uh, much less of a problem for industry than we thought. Mm, well put. Quick joke, real. If, if you could, uh, you were talking about studies and grants and presenting things the way they need to be presented. Whenever I see a study, and for anything, not not carbon based, but with that with anything, I put my Dale Gribble hat on, and I immediately look at who funded the study, and then I formulate my opinion on what the study actually says, <laughs> and I urge everybody else to do the exact same. <laughs> Well, it's almost like one of those situations where the money's not in the cure. The money is in the research. The money is in the treatment. You know, we've heard that about several things, you know, throughout yeah. our life. Yeah. Well, for academia especially, it's, you know, that's it's their lifeblood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for the takeaway of this podcast, I, you know, we come in here, I was a little angry <laughs> because I just talked to these academics like five minutes before I walked in here. I could, you know, about this exact subject matter. But I think this is supposed to be a positive referendum on our industry. This podcast has hopefully brought some knowledge um, to say that in this country, in this industry, we're doing a great job. Yeah, for what we can control, we're doing very well at it. We're doing a great job. And we need to continue doing a great job. And as we start touting ourselves in this industry, in this country, we need to make people aware of what the accurate numbers are. And as we go down the path of reducing carbon emissions, we need to realize we're going to be carbon neutral very, very quickly. And hopefully that comes in a manner that isn't costly so that we're not going to raise the cost of building homes, not going to raise the cost of building publicly funded roads, you know, we're going to come at this thing responsibly from a cost standpoint and responsibly from an environmental standpoint. And I think we're a lot closer than anyone would have you believe. Yeah, well said. I can't beat that. Way to put a bow on things, Paul Finley. <laughs> you said uh, you said earlier when we were joking around that you're not very good at putting things in political speak, but 
If you got a podium in front of you with a flag in the background, I'd I'd vote for you. I need the West Wing music in the background. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can make that happen and post that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's your clip. Yeah, with the flag waving in the background and West Wing music. <laughs> well, with that being said, and so eloquently put, uh, yeah, we'll we'll put a bow on this thing. Um, I think the few messages that we wanted to get across with our, our roundtable here is that you know the cement industry and the concrete industry in general it's not as doom and gloom as it seems sometimes uh, and if you change your perception and really dig down you know think objectively and, and look at the stats and try to understand what's actually happening long term with a very macro point of view you know our industry is doing well as you stated um, we're doing well with being aware of what our footprint actually is. We're being proactive in trying to minimize that as much as possible. And we can do so in a way where it's um, productive and beneficial to all parties involved. Um, whether it's the people trying to sell the concrete, the people trying to make the concrete and keep the lights on at, at the plants, um, and, and even people who are trying to uh, legislate things. Um, because at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of money to be had with uh, state DOT projects um, outside of, of civil, uh, civil construction. Dude, I'm telling you, NRMCA's new push, save the planet, pave with concrete. There you go. Yeah, put it on a t-shirt. Amen. I like it. I like it. Well, uh, with, that, with all that being said, we really hope that this podcast reaches as many ears as possible and we can make a true difference with our roundtable here. Um, and should we come across other, other key pressing issues, you know, we could have more of these. Uh, and we look forward to having more of these conversations and bringing light facts and statistics to uh, things that we're faced with every single day. Um, so we'll look to do more of these in the future. Uh, but also, speaking of the future, you can look for more uh, podcast content. Uh, we're going to have at least three more episodes before the end of the year uh, with different guests on from various sides of the industry. And, and we'll press them on, you know, what, what's bothering them? You know, what are their pains in the industry? What are they looking for? And, and kind of see how their perspective is. Because if there's one buzz term or buzzword we can take away from this episode, it's all about perspective. So we'll come at you guys with some guests here before the end of the year with plenty of content to keep you interested and busy. And until the next one, y'all be good.